Welcome Back to Now, the podcast celebrating a variously compiled world of pop. In each episode, a variety of fabulous guests and I explore favourite compilation albums, as well as considering how these collections shaped pop culture and now fondly stand as time capsules for our own musical and life milestones. I hope that you will enjoy the pop memories in this episode. Please follow the show through your favourite podcast provider and join in with me, Ian, on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Joining me for this episode is David Monero. David has worked for almost a decade in independent radio production, making shows for various BBC and commercial radio stations, though predominantly Radio 2. Having worked for years with Terry Wogan, David had the privilege of being the great man's final producer. Since then, he has created shows with Michael Ball, Claudia Winkleman, and has just completed four years on Early Breakfast with Vanessa Feltz. Currently, David is working on the new BBC Sounds and Radio 2 series, The Kitchen Disco, with Sophie Ellis-Bexter. And if you've happened to catch her lockdown videos, you will know exactly what a banger-filled, joyful pop fest this is. David, welcome back to now. Hello, Ian. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the CV recap. That's brilliant. (laughs) So how are you? Yeah, really, really good. I, I was, was listening to this podcast and just thought I'd absolutely love this and I'd really love to sit down with Ian and just do my own Now album and have this conversation because I've loved the Now albums and I love how you sort of drop the listener into a different moment in time with each with each different episode, each different compilation. It's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk Kitchen Disco. This sounds like a, a real fun show to do. We have so much fun. And and Sophie's brilliant. And this this whole so the kitchen disco sort of as a as a place in your imagination where you go just to have an hour of brilliant music. That was totally her idea in, in lockdown. I think it was every Friday night she would sort of go on Instagram and do mini gigs. And they proved so popular. And it's just sort of gone from there, really. And now it's, now it's a radio show. So she's sort of a fixture of the, the bank holiday schedules on, on Radio 2. And we have this, like you say, this weekly series on sounds. I sit down and we get the themes together and then we get sort of what music we want to play. We borrow sort of some great oldies and big tunes from the 70s and the 80s, big disco hits because it's kitsch disco. But we predominantly focus on sort of late 90s and the noughties, which is, that's my era. You know, that's what I was growing up and listening to music and loving music. So I get to just chuck it all in and, and have fun with it. It's, it's brilliant. I'm guessing there was quite a lot of music in your life growing up, David. Would I be right? Do you know what? <laughs> Funnily enough, no. No. <laughs> This is so funny. Well, I, I do tell people this. What do you mean, no? You know, so I, I, I'm I music obsessed. And you see my shelves are full of Now albums. And I sort of obsessively look over the charts. And But there was not a lot of music in my house growing up, really. I grew, I grew up in a house filled with Radio 4. And I grew up morning listening was the Today Show. And that, that was the kind of household I was in. But I do remember I would watch a lot of TV. Um, but on a Friday... If you were still sat in front of the TV coming into the evening, my dad would sit down and watch this program at 7.30 on Friday evenings. And I would usually leave the room at that point because I thought I wasn't interested. Sort of over time, I started to just sort of join him watching this show and it was Top of the Pops. That 
that was my first real exposure to the charts and to popular music. And it had the big colourful opening sequence with Led Zeppelin. Suddenly it was every Friday, 7.30, I couldn't be anywhere else. I had to be sat in front of the TV. Even my dad didn't want to watch it. I would say, no, 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 we are watching Top of the Pops every week like religion. It was, it was so important. And then at the end of every episode of Top of the Pops, the voice of Mark Goodyear would come up and would count down the top 20 and reveal the number one. And then he would always say, and to find out, you know, if this holds on for a second week or to find out what's, what's, you know, next week's number one, tune in to something called Radio One on Sundays from, from four o'clock. And I got a hand-me-down radio for my sister and I stuck Radio One on the charts on Radio One. Um, again, that became a fixture of my week. Really, really important. You know, we've had guests who've kind of talked about Radio One and the chart show in the 70s. Mm. We've had guests talking about it in the 80s. Isn't it brilliant that we have still got this absolute love for the charts and the way that we access it in this country? Yes, absolutely. And, and the way that it's still important to artists and it's still important to labels. And when they're plotting out a marketing campaign, you know, it's still hugely important. And yeah, the love of the charts is certainly still there. <laughs> Okay, so that's late 90s. I, like I say, the charts were that fixture of my week, Sunday afternoon every week, but I grew up in a Catholic household, so, so if we didn't go to midday mass, because my parents were busy out in the garden, we'd go to 6pm mass. Now, that's, that's a really, really crucial time. <laughs> so the charts run from 4 till 7, and I would stick a cassette in, record the charts off the radio, to be honest, I didn't even want to listen to it. I just need to know what's number one, and this is the quickest way to know. And more often than not, my cassette was just long enough to take the show to number three. <laughs> so I would arrive home, run upstairs, quickly rewind the tape. What I would then do is probably then run downstairs, grab the remote, stick on the TV, and go to teletext. Yes. <laughs> and try and find out the new charts on Teletext, which sometimes were updated pretty much straight away so you could see who was number one, fantastic. And sometimes they weren't updated till Monday morning. So sometimes I just wouldn't know. Told the Pops pointed me to Radio 1, and Radio 1 pointed me to the internet. And then from there, really, the website, for now that's what I call music, and now forum. On the dial-up. <laughs> Checking exactly. out the chart rundown. So the Now Forum, do you know, I didn't even realise, but of course there would have been a Now, a now website and a Now Forum, oh, wouldn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Now Forum was was big. So obviously when, when the new album was announced, the artwork, very exciting, and the final track list would go up on the Now Forums first and that's where you see, oh my God, there it is, brilliant. But in the three months leading up to that, people would just make their own. So they would mock up their own artwork, probably on Microsoft Paint, and they would put together their own track list. When the real one came out, you would then really sit and scrutinise and stroke your chin and go, hmm, yeah. see, that's track nine. I, I probably would have made that track. I mean, who cares? But you, it was so funny because you would sit and stress over those little details in the sequencing. Well, I would anyway. But this is actually something that now fans have done since 1983. And we've always had great conversations through the podcast on just the sequencing. We're looking now early noughties when we're talking two CDs, which, you know, again, it kind of changes how things run. Yes. Um, whereas obviously prior to that, you know, you had the four sides. It's interesting actually how you mentioned, yes, there were two CDs and you're quite right. But actually when I first got into them, just sort of jumping back, 
I was getting them on cassette. And I think the first one I got was uh, actually now 44, Christmas 1999. I asked for it for Christmas and got it as a present. And I remember seeing it wrapped on the tree. I, I know exactly what that is. And, you know, just unwrapping it and just thinking, my God, in the palm of my hand, it was in the palm of my hand because it was cassette. in the palm of my hand. I have all these songs. I cannot believe I've got all these songs in the palm of my hand because I, I couldn't afford to go up to our price every single week and buy everything. And also at the time, the charts moved at such a pace that there yeah. really was at least another six, seven or eight songs every week that were brand new and were exciting and were, and were in the charts. So the Now albums were so valuable. I think what it was, as, as a young music fan, it's what you're describing. It's having it in your hands. It, it's actually feeling as if you're now part of something. Yes, exactly. Just with one purchase or one gift, you're suddenly up to date. I think for, for me, it was a very personal experience, the Now albums. And actually, I remember music listening was very personal at the time because you had... You had the Walkman and then you had the personal CD player. And also, I, I think actually sort of as, as the young gay kid in an all-boys school, the Now albums were great because I could tell my friends that I bought them because I was listening to Franz Ferdinand or Justin Timberlake or the Arctic Monkeys, whatever it was. And I was enjoying those, but I was also enjoying the Sugar Babes, Kylie Minogue. You know, it, it was, you got everything that was in the charts all at once and people didn't know what you were listening to and what you were skipping, which yeah. was really, really valuable. It's interesting. I was a now loyalist, so I never invested in hits anything. I was not interested in the rival compilations. I, I just, it was now all the way for me. By this point, hits had given up the ghost, I think. There were still hits albums out there, but they didn't look like hits albums. They didn't, you know. <laughs> so now had kind of won the race by this point. Yeah, and, and like you say, the hits, complex, they, they came and went, didn't they? I think later then there was, there was another attempt, but it never, you know, the Now album's sort of supreme and that was it. Let's contextualise spring, summer 2004 for you, David. What was going on? It was so fun preparing for this because actually I think it was sort of a, a more pivotal moment that I realised perhaps. 2004, I am 14 years old. By now I've got the radio, I'm into Radio 1, not just Mark Goodyear on the Sundays, but Chris Moyles and Scott Mills. And Radio 1 is really, really powerful at this point. I remember listening to the Chris Moyle show. I think it was the first Monday after the October half term. It's dark outside, it's pissing it down. I'm up at 7am going to school. I'm putting my tie on. I really don't want to be going back to school. He's playing Eminem without me. And Chris Moyles has been away for the half term week. He's taken a week off. So he's back on and he's sort of riffing over the top of it going, Moyles, he's back, you know. And his producers are just around him sort of having a laugh. And I just think, here I am going to school and these guys are on the radio having so much fun and it's their job and there are producers and there are presenters and that's what they do for a living. And that was the moment, that was the moment when I was 14 years old where I just sort of decided that's what I want to do. There's people working in radio, having a laugh, playing music that they love, doing the charts that they love, you know, that, that's what I want to do for a living. If, if there's a career there, that's, that's what I want. I was listening back to the Radio 2 series Sounds of the 21st Century, which is just running oh, just now. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely fabulous. It actually took me back to the, the old BBC series Rock and Roll Years, which did the kind of similar thing in the 80s. But, and there's a clip on there, Chris Moyles was basically championing Peter Andre. Who, <laughs> yes. who, who, who obviously at this point was in the jungle. There was the whole story about him and Katie Price. And Chris Moyles got behind that and started playing Mysterious Girl. 
And right. with, within weeks, it was number one again. You forget that actually there was a time when there was such a, a significance to radio DJs and, and presenters for pushing things. But it, but it was not in that. It sort of rebirthed Peter Andre's entire career. You know, yeah. you, follow, you follow that up with a song called Insania. But um, the wonderful thing about that was there was a wonderful innocence to Peter Andre. Peter Andre almost really didn't get the fact he was promoting his new single in the ju- and writing Insania. Right. And I think, to be fair, it might have been a year or two later, but Scott Mills got in the act with the Hoff. Do you remember he got behind David Hasselhoff in a song called Jump In My Car? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, 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 again, I think, it, I think it ended up at number three in the charts, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're picking sort of funny examples, but, I mean, DJ or show on the radio putting their weight behind an act, like Zane Lowe and the Arctic Monkeys, for example, yeah. was just everything. Forty-four massive hits, an incredible eight number ones. I think I better leave right now. With all the latest hits, now fifty-seven. What I call music. So let's move then to now 57 itself. So we're in we're in spring of 2004. The album was released on the 5th of April 2004. So where do you want to begin? I'm going to hand over to you, David. I've taken it off the shelf. So it's here in my hands. It was so exciting because if listeners don't remember the cover to now 57, obviously the artwork has always been incredibly important to now albums, but I feel like the artwork was really, really good in this era of the now albums. And the artwork now 57 i suppose i'll call them easter eggs yeah i mean look this is a very well-worn copy when i actually open it it falls it, apart <laughs> it's actually in two halves which tells you i've had a lot of use out of it but the brilliant thing is when you open it up you immediately get sort of a load of gobbledygook and instructions about ringtones <laughs> yeah and, and this is great because this is one of these great historical contextual moments listeners i'm now opening mine which isn't as broken as david's so if you remember, this was, I mean, I suppose what everyone had was the Nokia 3310 at this point. So the, the, the ringtones, you had two different types. You had the mono ringtones and you had the polyphonic ringtones, which were supposed to sound a bit, big, a bit better and obviously cost more money as well. I mean, it all sounded shit looking back. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's so funny because they were so huge at the time. Each song has its own order code. I'm assuming That's it was right. then sent to your phone. Yes, as a text message, and then you downloaded it and saved it. You've got to texture the the make and the model of your phone and the order code, and it's just... But I remember these, these were inside these Now albums for a good few years around this point, and it was exciting. It was, you know, we look at it now and go, what on earth? But at the time, it was, oh, cool, this is the future. If you track back all of the kind of cultural touch points through, the, you know, through Now history, so, because I can remember getting the first couple of Now albums on cassette myself, and there would be adverts in there for the video selection, and you would get really excited because, Ooh. you know, like a video selection of some of the hits plus other songs. There was interactive DVDs as well, which yeah, came there were out. games, weren't they? Yeah, which which you could like kind of Now quiz games and Now quiz books That's and all right. sorts of things. In fact, I'm going back now and I'm going to give a special shout out to Mr. Johnny California, previously with us on the podcast, Hello. and Johnny chose Now Eight and. In the copy of Now 8, there's, um, I think it was the first Now album that had specific merch adverts inside it. 
Right. So you can buy sweatshirts and T-shirts and things. That was the first one. See, that's what I'm just trying to check now. I'm just flicking through the booklet and there isn't any merch advertising here, which I find really surprising because it seemed to always be something. Even if it was just another CD, you know, the yeah. Christmas, whatever. They were always advertising something. Let's go to Compact Disc 1. This is an absolutely brilliant song possibly a best what's interesting looking back is that in 2004 britney had been around for quite a while she'd had a good run the sort of the the pop star shelf life of the sort of four or five years she'd kind of done it really so this was her first number one single i think since oops i did it again yeah so, and that that was in 2000 and you'd be forgiven for thinking as a pop music fan that britney spears has probably done and we won't see her at number one again and then toxic comes along and it sounds silly to say she was back because she was still huge and, and, and in the public consciousness but this put her back at number one and it's just such an iconic video it's such an iconic sound it, it's, it's great that you mentioned music video as well because that was really important to the success of the single and and what you could get on the cd single was the music video so so suddenly the music video once again was really really important because if you could have a really shiny really interesting music video that people wanted to watch they might just buy the single for the video so there would have been lots of people who who bought the cd single for britney and then enjoyed sitting down and watching the toxic video over and over again so kathy dennis written you know, we talk about the fast movement of the charts by this point. There was that culture of songs landing at number one. What interested me looking back at the official chart company stats, though, one week for this song at number one. I know, I know, I know. It's, it seems criminal now, but, but it really was so fast and so exciting. And this is where I start to kind of say, oh, I really miss it, you know, because not. But the charts, every single week, there were five or six or seven or eight different songs landing in the sort of upper echelons of the charts. You could you could have, you know, easily six or seven new entries in the top 20 every week, which was so exciting. Next to Brittany, you can't really think of life before Milkshake. I don't know about you, but I can't really think of Milkshake. It doesn't take me just back to 2004 because it just sounds like that. Milkshake is timeless. Yeah. And it's interesting because, uh, well, we'll see later on the track if you've got NERD. So Pharrell is, yeah. he's, he's not yet Pharrell the super, superstar, but you kind of know who he is. You see his credits popping up on Justin Timberlake and all sorts of other things and Hot in Here by Nelly the previous year. But this is, I think it's Pharrell that's sort of the mastermind behind Milkshake. When you heard it, it was easy to kind of go, yeah, we'll, we'll be listening to this forever. I'm going to jump a bit. We'll come back. But there's another Pharrell track on here, uh, which is Justin Timberlake. I'm loving it. Now, now this, is, this is a strange one. This technically isn't even a song. <laughs> so Justin Timberlake, he's had this incredible run of success because he's, he's put out the Justified albums and Like I Love You and Cry Me a River and Rock Your Body. And he's just king of the world at this point. Huge. So if you're compiling a Now album you would kind of go, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a new Justin Timberlake track, so that'll be a hit, and we'll put that, you know, in the first five tracks. Got to. But not only that, like you say, it's it's a McDonald's slogan <laughs> from the advert. It's a very, very random song. It's not even a song you hear anymore. I don't, I mean, it's... <laughs> no, I mean, you barely heard it at the time. But the really interesting thing is, like you say, lots of McDonald's promotion, 
but they don't mention that on the track list at the back. And at some point in the, the Now album, certainly on um, Now 54, I think, when they had Make Love by Room 5 and Oliver Cheatham, they, they said in brackets on the track listing from... The Lakeside Fire, yeah. Yeah, they say it. They would really explicitly spell it out. So when you're flipping it over in the supermarket and looking at the track list, you go, ah, oh, yes, from the advert. I love that song, great. But they didn't do that, you know, at this point with the McDonald's song, as we'll call it. Well, there's another track on Compactus 2, we'll come back to later on, uh, which is Jimmy Collum's track as well. Uh, it's what they've done there in the sequencing you see what's before it well yes so let's take those two together yeah compact is two track 15 and 16 we've got NERD she wants to move which is brilliant mm-hmm. and then next to that you've got Jamie Cullum and his cover of NERD's fronting which I believe came from a Joe Wiley uh, the session the live lounge this is going back to the power of Radio 1. I mean, I remember listening to Chris Moore's at breakfast and then Joe Wiley with the live lounge in the mid-morning and whoever went on there, it was just a huge deal. They'd go there the week their album was released and Jamie Cullum was brand new. Nobody ever heard of him. But yeah, this cover of Pharrell Williams in the live lounge was so huge amongst the audience of Joe's show and amongst the audience of Radio 1. They sort of kept playing it and sort of it gained this cult status. And then there he is on a Now album. That's why I tie it across to Justin Timberlake because apart from the Pharrell link it's almost yeah. now starting to broaden out from the charts yes and actually say well here's an act who you know from the charts or here's an yeah. act who's on their way into the charts but this is a song that we can now take out of context from that top 40 it happens more now where there'll often be TV or film theme links or whatever I'm thinking back a couple of years ago when Rocket Man came out there was tracks from there on that yeah. as well I think it's good that they do that and I, I think you know because they're trying to reflect what's going on in, in music taste and music culture at the time and that whole thing about it being a time capsule that's really important and sometimes that isn't just what's in the top 10 of the charts you know sometimes it's far wider than that they're moving out of that space I think also as the charts have got a little bit slower and they don't have this, you know, this is 2004 and things are changing every single week, but it's not always like that as we know. So it's quite important for the Now albums to have different sources where they can pull stuff in and go, actually, just sort of in the zeitgeist, this was huge. So we're going to shove it on the compilation as well. Let's go back. CD1, Jamelia. The way I just sort of said about Milkshake, it's timeless and, and it doesn't necessarily take you back to 2004. And then you have Thank You by Jamelia. I know. Which takes you right back to 2004 and nowhere else. It sort of, you couldn't possibly be in it. You, you suddenly are dropped into that moment in time. It was just after Superstar, which obviously still played all the time on the radio. The song she did after this was a beautiful song called See It In A Boy's Eyes, which I yeah. think she Chris Martin from Coldplay. So she was, you know, I mean, she was a huge star at the time and she put out some really, really decent songs. And next up, we've got Kylie, Red Blooded mm-hmm. Women. This is another Kylie song you don't hear that much, unfortunately. And it's, it's, it's a good song. Yeah, I'm a massive Kylie fan. And this is, it's a funny old era for Kylie because like you say, Slow was great and it was a number one, but it was kind of Marmite for some people. And then again, Red Blooded Women, people go, okay, I think she gets the cancer diagnosis a year later and then sort of disappears for for quite a long time. I think you're right. We never hear this. It's a really underrated track. the, The only thing I can say is I think there are lots of Kylie tracks and lots of brilliant, better Kylie tracks, which is why perhaps we don't hear this one quite as much. Enrique Iglesias featuring Khalees. Six tracks in, Khalees has been on twice. See, now this happens these days 
all the time. You yeah. flip open a, a, a recent now album and you look for KSI, you'll find him at least three times. You know, <laughs> this is a, a bit like the Kylie song. This is a decent song which doesn't get played anymore at all, and it's a shame. We're still in quite a relatively big run of acts here. We've got Black Eyed Peas and mm. uh, Shut Up. You don't hear that much either, actually, to be honest. The Black Eyed Peas I love, but with this song, I just think, is it good or not? <laughs> yeah. Know. The thing so. is important for them because they just had Where Is The Love, which was ginormous and put them on the map. And this was the kind of the, set, the make or break. Are they going to be a one hit wonder or not? Yeah. And this was the song that meant they were not a one hit wonder, you know, and they, they were, you know, top of the charts for about 10 years. They're interesting because the Black Eyed Peas, Where Is The Love for me sounds like nothing else the Black Eyed Peas have really done. No. And obviously a brilliant song. They, for me, I, I identify them the end of the noughties, uh, the kind of the influence of David Guetta and sort of Electro and the start of the digital era, really. And the iTunes store was really at its peak. That's when I remember the Black Eyed Peas. It's almost enough to make you feel patriotic. So here's one for our ass-kicking Prime Minister. I think he'll enjoy this. A golden oldie for a golden oldie. Let's jump to jump. We'll come back to Cha Cha Slide. Please, let's. <laughs> let's come back to that. Um, so, Jump had been on now four by the Pointer Sisters. Um, okay. And here we are. Now, the reason I mention it is because, and we'll make a connection with CD2, it's the Love Actually connection. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, the Girls Aloud version of the song, which was for the, the soundtrack to Love Actually, is not the version that's in the film. The no. Pointer Sisters one is in the film and Hugh Grant's doing the dancing. So I don't, I don't know if Girls Aloud <laughs> expected to be in the film with Hugh Grant dancing away to their cover, but they weren't. I'd love to have been there sitting in the cinema at the premiere behind Girls Aloud. I could imagine the, the whispers along the line to say, that's not us. That's not our version. Or, or words to those effects, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, no, so, so Love Actually had been huge at the end of 2003. Actually, Joe Wiley's in the film as well, isn't she? We've got a Joe Wiley link earlier on as well. But Joe Wiley, she's the voice of the DJ on the radio introducing oh. the song. On the other CD, we've got Sugar Babes, which is Too Lost oh. in You, which also was on um, the Love Actually soundtrack. Doing my research, this was written by Diane Warren. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a high watermark <laughs> yes. in, in the Sugar Babes catalogue. I think I'm right in thinking it actually failed to make the top 10. I just, I didn't even understand it then. I don't understand it now. And the music video, I remember they're walking through Stansted Airport for some reason, probably to do with Love Actually, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. It's a Diane Warren song and they sing it really well and it, it sits in their catalogue at the time perfectly because they've just had Hole in the Head which has been a big number one mm. follow up with a song called In the Middle which was decent and so this is the ballad for this album campaign and what a ballad so yeah so let's go back Cha Cha Slide DJ Casper <laughs> <laughs> I think if you said at the time that that would be one of the lasting tracks from the era and from yeah. this particular album, you'd say, yeah, oh, of course it won't. But I still, we actually get this in a kitchen disco every now and then with Sophie, and we still play this. I played it on New Year's Eve on Radio 2. It goes down so well. Five hops this time. How can you resist? It's brilliant. It's such a, The thing about it is, because, you know, there's the Macarena and things. There are great songs with dance routines and you think, oh, do I remember how to do Wigfield Saturday night? Whatever. You don't need to remember with the child. It's an instruction manual in song form. This song, it always reminds me of America's slightly strange relationship with dance music. Yeah. 
you know, they imported dance music to us in Europe and then we sent it back to them in a slightly better way. A very interesting <laughs> transaction, isn't it? And, yeah. it? and it goes on. It reminds me actually, now 19, um, CNC Music Factory. Oh. And, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just a stone cold classic, right? At that point in the UK charts, it was all starting to rave up slightly. Right. <laughs> and, and and there was always this slightly more polished American version that, that yes. looked like dance music and kind of sounded like dance music, but wasn't dance music. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that video for Cha-Cha Slide where like, you see lots of slightly uncomfortable people in the That's streets right. dancing because America always shuffled slightly and kind of looked a bit awkward with dance music. Yeah, uh, but this it's, it's interesting that sort of democratization of the now album that this the charge our slide is the perfect example of that so i quite like that sort of with a slight wing that you know it's a, don't worry this is for everyone everyone can take part track 12 13 14 we'll take together because there's a kind of cover version theme to these we've got jump by girls allowed somebody to love by the boogie pimps and ladies yeah. night atomic kitten and cool in the guy so the brilliant thing about covers when they're done well or you picked a decent song if you are, as I was, a 14-year-old boy listening to these songs, you have no idea that they're covers at the time. I, I actually, I knew that Jump was a cover. That was fairly obvious. I never heard somebody to love before. So yeah, there's something to be said about picking the right song to cover there and, and introducing it to a completely different generation for, sort of for the first time. Boogie Pimp, Somebody to Love. Can we specifically talk about the music video? Now this is, this is the parachuting babies, isn't it? Do you remember what they were parachuting onto? No. <laughs> well, Ian, this was the crucial bit. So from my memory, there's, there's a lady kind of laid out in a bikini and the babies jump out of the plane and are parachuting down towards this woman who's just laid out sort of sprawled there. She's singing the song and they're aiming for the breasts. I would imagine that Grace Slick and Jefferson Airplane, that's exactly <laughs> the vision they were aiming for, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, we talk about cover versions. Yeah. Um, Scissor Sisters and Comfortably Numb. I, I think this is genius. Oh, I, I am fully I on board. Yeah. This is the debut single from the Scissor Sisters. This is the first time you'd ever heard of them. Yeah. And the interesting thing is they're this New York band who couldn't really get a, get a hold in America and make it big. So they kind of came over here instead. Yeah. And they put out this Pink Floyd cover and, it's, and it just catches everyone's imagination because it's, it's, they've completely reinvented the song. I think people on Radio 1 always introduced it as this very clever cover, but I'd never heard the song before. So for me, comfortably numb, the first time I heard it, it was this kind of dance song, which is amazing. I want to talk about this Emma track, Emma Bunton track, because this is an interesting kind of 60s throwback type thing. Which she did a few times, actually. My favourite solo Spice Girl was Mel C, in terms of just the song she put out. I just thought, wow, Mel C had the best kind of post-Spice Girls career. Emma's was, was interesting, because I think it took her a while jumping around to work out what she wanted to sound like. And then, yeah, like you say, this is kind of the 60s. She did a, a song called Maybe, yeah. which I comes after this, I think. And then she covers Downtown. She just thinks, right, I'm going to do this. I might as well just go for it and do Petula Clark. <laughs> I've been pretending to be Petula Clark for the last three singles. Now I am Petula Clark, Matthew. It's, it's an example of one of those kind of marketing campaigns. It's basically, okay, Emma, you know, you can see them with a the flip chart paper. This is how you're going to spend the next 18 months. You're going to be a 60s Bond girl. Okay, fine. Yeah. I'm going to get some decent writers and we're going to make some, some, some decent 60s sounding tracks. And, and they still sound great. You could, you could sit it next to Cilla Black and Petula Clark and it'd yeah. probably sound quite good. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They, that's the thing. That's, that's actually really impressive when you think about it, that they do sit amongst those actual 60s songs quite well. 
Next to Emma is uh, our friend Sophie. <laughs> I won't change you. And also, we're talking just just a moment before about clever covers and picking the right song. She, after grooved it, she launched her career with with a share cover. That's right, Take Me Home. Yeah, with Take Me Home, which was genius because it was it was a it was a great share song that hadn't been a hit over here, and so it's a Sophie Ellis Bates song to us. Yeah. Um, then Murder on the Dance Floor, like you saying Get Over You, and so many. And this is the thing. She, here she is. You know, she the na- she's another one. The Now albums have been really loyal with Sophie Ellis Bexter, and she's she's continued to be a presence there even recently. We're tailing towards the end of CD one here, and feel free to jump in at any point. <laughs> However. Deepest Blue, <laughs> LMC and U2, but we've then got Special D, Ultra Beat, Motorcycle and Ferry Corston. So the Now Albums did this a lot, especially around this particular era. They just sort of clustered things together and just went, right, well, if you like Special D, then we know what you've come for. You, you've come for Ultra Beat and you've come for Ferry Corston, apparently, and <laughs> we'll just shove those all in the same little cluster you know, towards the end of CD1 or the end of CD2. Usually with the dance stuff, interestingly, it was actually the end of CD2. So if you didn't want to listen to that stuff, you could just kind of listen to a CD and a half and then just switch it off. CD2 kicks off with Will Young and Leave Right Now. What a song. And really important for Will Young because he'd one pop idol and then he'd had Evergreen and a few other songs and the duet with Gareth Gates. But I think this was the moment that he became a serious, credible star with staying power and he moved out of the pop idol sphere and the kind of reality TV winner and, and just became a pop star. And we've got Katie Mellower, the closest thing to crazy, which, am I right? What was this her debut single? Yes, it was. It was. And, and again, quite an amazing calling card to, to start things off. Yeah, it's Mike Batt, isn't it? Who's, who's it's Mike Batt, yeah. The mastermind behind it. And, and our Terry, of course, Terry Wogan, he sort of ran with this. He, I know. He, it's so interesting. We've talked so much about the power of Radio 1 to make a hit and, and you know, to really put people on the map. Terry did it on Radio 2 with Katie Mellywell. The thing is, Radio 2, as it is now and, and, and was then, was so influential in the albums market and with Nora Jones. I mean, those albums, they were sort of like coffee table albums or, or sort of dinner party albums. They're kind of the albums that everyone had. And if you go around to so-and-so for dinner, they're going to put on, um, you know, Nora Jones in the background or, 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 you know, I suppose early than that, it would be White Ladder by David Gray, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And Radio 2 are, are sort of unsung heroes in that space, in that sphere, really, because even later with Gregory Porter, you know, they just continued to make huge hits out of these, these album artists, you know? There's a very clear strategy here in playing to different markets on the yes. new album. But again, making sure that all bases are covered. As a snapshot of spring 2004, there isn't much missing from this. I was looking again at the charts. Up to this point in the year, all number ones are represented on this album, with yep. the exception of one track. I'm searching my brain, hold on. It's not Sam and Mark, is it? Uh, you're doing well, David, yeah. If, if this was... <laughs> I'm not proud that I know that. <laughs> Sam and Mark. So just to contextualise, folks, um, Sam and Mark had been the runners-up, numbers yeah. two and three, behind I... Michelle McManus in yes. the second series of Pop Idol, and then were put together by Simon Kill, maybe hijacked, maybe kidnapped, and put that's... into a room. And oh, then... you'd bring it together, that's it. <laughs> and you are now a duo and yep. recorded with a little help from my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Hey, look, hey, and they had a week at number one. Track four, 
I'm going to put my hands up and say, don't remember this track. Breathe now, Easy by Blue. I will come to the defence of this song time and time again. This is such a good song. No, but it really, really is. And, and the thing is, if this song was released by One Direction, it would have been a massive hit. If you heard Harry Styles or Zayn singing the chorus to this song, it's soaring. It's, I put it there with... Too Lost in You by the Sugar Babes. And I know that's Diane Warren, so that's 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 cheeky of me. But I do put them in the same category of incredible pop ballads. I think it's a really quality track. I'm right in thinking this is Blue, the beginning of the end of Blue, it, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. But it's a really interesting time because it's the beginning of the end for atomic kitten and it's the beginning of the end for s club seven and it's in fact s club seven have gone already they've been in the dust already so it's 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 what you talked about in terms of that pop-tastic section of the the first bit of the noughties and this is very much a transitional point i think because i think the reason the track list for this now album is quite random and and like you say everything's there but it's it's all kind of in in separate little clusters and groups and then it kind of goes off in random miscellaneous directions and that really reflects where we were in terms of the charts of music of 2004 and we can't you know we're not yet there's not enough distance between us and the noughties to look back at that decade and decide like we have with the 80s and we, we started to with the 90s in terms of what that decade was about i think looking back at, at sort of the music tastes and the charts for this decade i kind of divide it into three very clear thirds so we had that poptastic first third, which was very much sort of Westlife and Robbie and Kylie and that kind of thing. We have the, the last bit, sort of 2008, 2009, which is the move from physical to digital. And it's the Black Eyed Peas and David Guetta. It's Katy Perry and it's Lady Gaga. And, and then we have the middle bit, which is a bit, <laughs> it's a, it's a bit weird. It's, it's kind of, it's lots of big British guitar bands. It's, Keen, Franz Ferdinand, the Arctic Monkeys, Guys Chiefs, and and so many more. Razor Light, you know, go on and on. But it's yeah, it's the middle chunk that we're just about to enter into in two thousand and four. We're in that transition point between the first and the second chunk of this decade. But but if you look, just just read between the lines, you can see some some sort of some arcs forming and some things happening. And you can see, like you say, it's it's the end of days for Blue almost, and and bands of that ilk, girl bands, boy bands. I would argue, though, that if you take any of the decades, the middle period of the decades is always an identity crisis. Interesting, right. Okay, if you take the kind of mid-90s, let's, so let's go back to the mid-90s, you've yeah. got that kind of push and pull of Europop, you've got Britpop trying to get a foothold in there, yeah. and that's oversimplifying it, there's so much more to it. The middle of the 80s, you've got the end of the kind of new romantic and that first wave of kind of shiny synth pop yeah. moving towards that shift into dance music at the end. Yeah. This sounds quite theoretical. Yes. I haven't really thought yeah. about it. 84, 85, 94, 95, 04, 05. There's an identity crisis in what's going on. As you've mentioned, the big factor here was the digital shift, which is about to happen yeah. and really yeah. change things. There's so many fascinating shifts in the noughties, but that's, that's really interesting about the middle part of the decade. And, and I suppose it actually makes sense, really, when you think about it. You think, OK, well, the first part of the decade, you're borrowing a lot of, of what's gone before. Um, the last part of the decade is sort of very sort of minds on future and, and, and what's coming. So the middle of the decade, yeah, is, is, is where sort of culture is trying to sort of define itself 
in that moment and and you know less about what's gone before and what's what's coming you know what 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 is music about in the mid noughties or the mid nineties? That's that's when it happens. I'll be interested to see if this decade does the same thing because we've now and it probably should, because again, we won't be able to recognise it for another twenty or thirty years anyway. Yeah. Because that's the thing, when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. Will there still be the same tribal genre shift? I don't know. Comes back to that point about the democratization. Well, things like Spotify, you know, there's everything to listen to there, completely in secret or as publicly as you like on social media. And yeah, the sort of the lines are very, very blurred. We talk about decades clashing and genres clashing. (laughs) (laughs) It's maybe personified here in Kelly Osborne and Ozzy Osborne and changes. I just remember this on Top of Pops because I think they were sat in sort of thrones, back-to-back thrones, spinning around. I'd not watched the Osbournes. So this is the thing. The Osbournes was huge and that kind of template of reality TV and fly on the wall. I missed all that. That passed me by like you wouldn't believe. So I, I didn't get the whole Osbournes thing. So when, when changes came off the back of it, Again, it just, I didn't feel part of it. And listening back to it, it, it still kind of is a bit of a question mark for me. And I'm not surprised you don't hear it much anymore either. I think if it ever made sense, it made sense around Christmas time, which is, of course, when it was released. Mm. So it was number one the week before Christmas. And then, and then it was number three for Christmas. So it was, you know, it was a big deal. Interesting fact, the only appearance on the Now albums for Kelly Osbourne, the only appearance on the Now albums for Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, see, I love a good Now fact. We're going to strap on some guitars for a while. Massive gear change here, and I'm trying to work out. I suppose they think we've we've had Ozzy Osbourne there, so oh. then we go into the rocky stuff and the guitars. But obviously, when you're listening to it, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's such a gear change. If you haven't heard I Miss You by Blink-182, treat yourself. It's a really decent song. I am going to have to go back and have a listen to that one, actually. Busted next. I suppose Busted, Three Guys and Guitars, Blink-182, Three Guys and Guitars, kind of makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, on paper it kind of, yeah, on paper it makes sense. I I think if if you're kind of a 14-year-old boy listening to this music and picking your tribe, you would not, if you're listening to Blink-182, you're not interested in Busted and vice versa. I think if you're someone who's compiling a Now album for people to look at in the supermarket and decide whether or not to buy, it's fine. It makes sense. It was their third chart topper follow-up to Crash the Wedding. So Busted at this point are still big news. Very surprising that it's gone to number one, if you ask me. But yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're huge news. This was just sung to me all the time. I mean, the song's called Who's David? So it was just yelled at me constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Fountains of Wayne. This is a great song. Stacey's Mom is a fantastic song. It's a power pop song, but it's it's a random appearance for a band like Fountains of Wayne. It's a very random song. It's a great song, but it's such a random song in terms of what it's about. But it, it's... So, again, 14-year-old boys, I was at an all-boys school. As I've discussed, I was, I was of a slightly different parish, but still, I got it. Because <laughs> when the music video for this song came out i mean this was just the song of the year this was all anyone would talk about i I think it was rachel hunter in the music video who plays the mum and it's just so tongue-in-cheek and so brilliant and so hilarious and the good news is without the music video the song still stands up by itself it's a great great song i would consider a track like this because it's such a timeless power pop track it could stand along next to something like my best friend's girl by the cars it just seems kind of strange in this context, I think, in this album. But again, 
as we've said, now 57 is quite a strange combination of songs. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Then we have Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Wow. I mean, just fabulous. So for my money, and I know we've already touched on Sister Sisters and Comfortably Lum. Again, what a way to make an entrance. But Take Me Out, I think, is the best debut single of the noughties. In terms of a statement and in terms of just packing a punch and just arriving and saying, we're here and this is what we say. And again, this was this was all over Radio One. Why wouldn't it be? Sort of, sort of every hour. It was just, it was huge. And actually, where Franz Ferdinand bucked the trend, they still had much, much more to come. There's great examples of now bands that cross over the smash hits and the NME genre. Yeah. Franz yeah. Ferdinand sit right in the middle of that. So true. And and in terms of its structure, it's a bit of an odd song. Once it gets going, it's brilliant. But you know, that first sort of minute or so is it sounds like a completely different song. And and I think now now I think at the time at, you know, now that would be completely unheard of in the era of Spotify when you've got two and a half minutes and you've got to grab people's attention straight away. You just can't do that. You can't afford to. But even at the time, it was quite radical and quite odd to have a song that started and then sort of shape-shifted and just exploded. It was just Brilliant. So confident, like you say. I would like us to take an interesting view of where indie was in 2004. Let, let's talk Keen and Snow Patrol. Somewhere Only We Know and Run. I mean, two great songs and two songs that you just hear on the radio nonstop, depending on what, what your radio station of choice is. You just hear them all the time. I feel like we're just, we're on the eve of, well, like we said, that sort of middle chunk of the decade it will seem for a year or so like that's all there is. You have, like you say, you've got Keen, Snow Patrol, kind of at the front, I would say, at the top of the pack. Yeah, and actually, I can see a direct line, though, from Coldplay 2000, okay? Yeah. You've got that run from Coldplay. Actually, prior to that, you've, you've probably got Radiohead, and the Radiohead went a bit off in yeah. a lot of people's lines. Coldplay picked up the mantle, and then you've got this move through to where we've now got Keen and Snow Patrol. Big acts... Big, big followings, big anthemic songs. You can see where there was a very, very clear market, very clear album market and live market for bands like Keen and Snow Patrol. And, and also very obvious festival bands. Yeah. And this kind of music, like you say, these sort of anthems, they would just then play festivals solidly all summer. I think as well, testimony of good songwriting is both of these songs will come back again later on yeah. Oh, yeah so you've got the john lewis you've got that version of someone we know that lily, lily allen did which was lovely um and you've got leona lewis notice the two lewis's there john lewis leona lewis hey you yeah were, <laughs> snow, snow patrol and run it is it's testimony to two very very well-written songs yes absolutely <laughs> Let's go reality then. The first series of The X Factor comes later on in the year. So we are still pre-X Factor. Um, so we're talking Fame Academy on the BBC. Yep. We're talking Pop Idol on, yep. on, on ITV. And they're all represented here. So shall we start at the end with Michelle? Shall we? Do you know, it's really interesting. Apart from Will, who's, who we discussed, Will Young, up at the you know opening CD2. Yeah, a lot of it is sort of put at the end of CD2, right at the end of the compilation. But Dear Michelle, track 21. I feel like the Now albums, they do this in a very knowing way, which is like, look, we know you're not going to listen to it. You know you're not going to listen to it. It was number one, though, so we've got to put it on. And there it is right at the end. 
And in later years, interestingly, that spot would be taken up by kind of charity ensemble singles. Yeah. We've got to include it because then in the TV advert, we can say eight massive number one singles included on it instead of seven, you know. So we've got to put it on because it topped the charts. But nobody's going to listen. <laughs> we, we, no. we can pop it right at the end of the whole thing. Poor Michelle. Michelle had been that end of year Christmas, end of, end of pop idol type thing. We're four months in now. Nobody really wants to hear because the shelf life no. of these reality number ones were incredibly short. It was released, I think, in January. Hmm. The music industry still slightly goes to sleep at the beginning of January. But, but really, back then, it really did. I mean, post-Christmas, in those first weeks of January and into mid-January, there really wasn't an awful lot going on at all. So you could do some very clever scheduling of certain releases and you could get two or three weeks at number one, which they did. But then, like you say, by Easter time... When all this, you know, we've had Britney, we've had Usher, we've had Peter Andre, you know, we've, we've had yeah. all sorts going on. And the chart's been really busy again and really exciting. And you just think, oh, yeah, of course, Michelle from, from three months ago. But, yeah, really not in the mood for it now. <laughs> the BBC's big Saturday night show was Fame Academy. And also, I remember it was a bit like, wasn't it sort of, it, it was a bit like watching Pop Idol and Big Brother sort of combined because they live together. So, but I mean, again, to be fair to the now folks, they have pulled in both the winner and the runner-up. Um, Alex Parks was the winner. So she's in there at track 19. <laughs> it's getting towards the end. Further up the tree, number 10 is Alistair Griffin. He was runner-up. Um, not greatly memorable. I think the Alex Parks song, having listened back to it for this, uh, you know, obviously I haven't heard it since 2004. I think it's actually more decent than we remember. It doesn't sound like a debut song to me to launch a career, but it, it's, it's a decent song. Do you remember what Alex Parks did next? Nope. So Alex Parks brought out a song called Cry, which right. sounded exactly the same. It, I mean, it's even in the same key. That you just think that's weirdly similar. I mean, not even sort of accidentally. It's very close. Alistair Griffin. Um, see, I have just patchy memories of this particular this second series of Fame Academy. I think Bring It On by Alistair Griffin. I think it was a big song on the show. Mm. And then, so, you know, naturally it was his big breakout song afterwards, the debut. I don't remember what Alistair Griffin did next, unfortunately. But we're talking about the importance of now being time capsules. Yeah. These albums would be doing us now a disservice if it didn't represent reality TV shows. Of course. I don't, I, the thing is, I don't buy a Now album just to have 44 brilliant songs, not skipping any of them. I buy them so I have that record of that three-month, four-month period of the charts at that time. And then I will sort of look at them fondly sort of many, many years later. And I'm glad that those songs are there and they bring me those memories of the TV we were watching at the time and, and, and the culture and the magazine covers at the time, definitely. It's interesting, isn't it, that... Um, what we've already discussed about kind of the, the, the different chunks of the noughties and we're in this transitional point. We have, again, that transition point with reality TV. We've had pop idol and pop stars. We've had Fame Academy, all right. The X Factor is about to start, which will suddenly really consolidate that format and that whole idea of making somebody a pop star on TV and it will be done in a really slick way, not just, not just on the way the TV show is produced, but that will impact on the charts and on the calendar year and on how, right, we're going to have a winner and we're going to launch them in October the following year. Um, but also the people who came second, they're popular too. So we'll put JLS out, we'll start them in summer and we'll make sure none of them bump into each other but yeah. they'll all have stuff out for the Christmas rush. You know, Simon Cowell and the X Factor really put a lot of structure and a lot of shape into the pop music calendar in later years. 
But we're just, we're just, like I say, we're just on the precipice of that. It's about to happen. I'm trying to see what we've missed on there. We've talked reality. We've talked love, mm. actually. We've talked... The only... I'm, I'm looking down. I'm not, I don't have anything to say about VS versus... Is it VS? Versus? I, I think it's VS, but do you, do you want to hear the, the reality TV link that we might have missed there? Yes, please. VS, I couldn't tell you anything about them. All I know is that in VS, they had two hits and there was another one on the next Now album and then they vanished. Mm. And then one of VS went on to be in JLS because it was Marvin Humes. Oh, great fact. And actually, I'm looking at the very, very small picture on the CD booklet. Can you see him? And there he is. There's there Marvin is. gracing the hit list. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> very briefly. Uh, so that, no, that's good. That's good. We didn't talk Joss Stone. Yeah, actually, to be fair, you know, if you remember, Joss Stone, uh, her, I can't remember what the album was called now. God, what was the album called? Was, was it something Sessions? Yes, it was. I can see it. I can but see it. But that Joss Stone album, that was debut, huge. It was her and Jamie Cullum at the same time. You know, yeah. they both launched around the same time and people could kind of categorise them together, I think. It's a clever cover version. Yeah. And again, it goes back to that live lounge type culture of take a song, cover it. You know, Travis had kicked it off, I think, way back right. when they did Baby One More Time. And, you know, right. and actually, it kind of works quite well here. I think we're about a year or so out, maybe two years out from the Arctic Monkeys doing Girls Aloud Love Machine. And then the Sugar Babes doing Arctic Monkeys. Brilliant. I mean, come on. It's fabulous. And th- but that is populated itself. And that that's the wonderful thing that, that we do so well in this country of actually yeah. kind of passing the baton backwards and forwards. Yeah. Because it, it makes you think of, you know, those great Brit Award nights when, you know, when either there, there was the duets or there was the cover version, um, Kylie coming down with Blue Monday. Yes. Do you know, she came out of a giant CD player. Do you remember that? Yeah. My favourite random collaboration at the Brit Awards was the Claxons and Rihanna. I mean, it was random at the time, but but you couldn't convince Rihanna to do that now. I'm surprised mm. they could then. For me, the Pet Shop Boys Brits medley still brings tears to my eyes. It was oh. such a beautiful thing. Um, you know, you've got Brandon Flowers, Lady Gaga. Is that when the Pet Shop Boys won the Outstanding Contribution to Music? Is that what they call it? The Big yes. Big Award? And, and they came out and did the Stars on 45 medley of their own hits, and it just was fabulous. <laughs> We've reached the end of the album. We have. It's interesting. We jump back and forth quite a lot, but it, but it does. When you look at the track list, it doesn't. There are, like we've said, the little groupings of, of songs and genres. But it's a weird old track list. It's good. There's some great stuff in there, but it's a bit strange as we've discussed because it's it's that kind of in between period between sort of two massive eras. The interesting thing is what was really well defined at this time was the now album itself because mm. we're at peak cd era and the artwork is exciting the tv adverts are exciting with the mark goody voiceover and the booklet is exciting the the now album i feel is sort of you know in a, in a really good place in 2004 even if the music that's on the track list is a bit sort of it's sort of going off here and there in different directions the the product itself is solid so what are the highlights for you? Well, here's the thing. What would have been the highlights back then? What would be your highlight tracks now? Oh, uh, okay. So back then, back then and now, Toxic, Britney, just, yeah. it's, it's just up there. I was into the Black Eyed Peas and I was really into the stuff later on. But you know, we didn't talk about Deepest Blue, but I was really into Deepest Blue. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Deepest Blue. 
<laughs> no, that's fine. We're talking about what I was into at the time. I was into Deepest Blue inexplicably for some reason. And like all the boys at school, I, I love Fountains of Wayne. And that's the thing. I can actually, I, interestingly, I can pick from very different, disparate parts of the track list and say, yeah, I liked that and I can pull from that. And that you know, but that's the beauty of the Now album. In terms of Now, <sighs> listening to it now is really, really interesting. I Yeah. I'm not listening to Deepest Blue now. It's sort of towards the beginning. It's toxic. It's milkshake. It's, I guess it's, um, it's not the cha-cha slide. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm still drawn to Scissor Sisters and, and uh, Franz Ferdinand, I think, just because they are so yeah. memorable for where I was at that point in life. I would say more the Scissor Sisters than Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand is brilliant as it is. I still hear it on the radio a lot play on the radio shows a lot so so i i love it but i'm very familiar with it the scissor sisters that version of comfortably numb does not get played much but whenever you ask people about it, or whenever you talk about it, they go oh yeah god how creative how clever how fantastic um and then the scissor sisters went on to do amazing things so i think i'd lean more towards them do you know what i love ian that you always do on this podcast is you ask people about things that are missing yes that that's it so what is missing from spring 2004 that needs to be on this album do you know what as as much as this was my era of now albums and i love them there, there was always quite a lot missing mm. i think so 2004 for me you mentioned the franz ferdinand album and the scissor sisters album i loved uh, the keen album hopes and fears from that year which is represented i loved Songs about Jane, Maroon Five. Yeah, which was that year and was huge, and had hits on it. Now was very very late to the party with Maroon Five. Mm. Not until the end of the year, till now fifty nine, that they stick "She Will Be Loved" on there, and they suddenly realised that Maroon Five are a big deal. But they missed out on this love. And actually, interestingly, you could fit it in a number of different places just looking at the track list. But for me, the Now albums, like I say, I was very loyal to them, so I didn't get any of the other compilations. So if, if, if something was missing from the Now track list, it was just missing from my collection. I just didn't have it. And it was a lot of the American artists. We've mentioned Usher. Eminem is still kind of at the peak of his powers at this point, but Eminem barely got a look in on the Now albums. That's true, actually, yeah. Without Me was on 53. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, it yeah. Sort of towards the end of CD2 of now. It was sort of so out of the way for a massive number one. And it was so funny how the whole marketing of the Nowbers and Howers all presented is, you know, who's made the cut? Who's on the track list this time? It's only when you get older, you realise, hold on. It's who you've managed to clear and who you've got permission to get on there. That's all. It's label politics is all it is. It's not who's made the cut. It's when that <laughs> bubble bursts, isn't it? And you realise that actually, that no, this is actually a marketing exercise. That's the end of innocence right there. <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining us here on the Back to Now podcast and taking us poptastically back to 2004. Gosh, this has been so much fun. I knew it would be fun. I, I, I knew I'd really enjoyed just this trip down memory lane, but I'm really, really in 2004 right now. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, yeah, quite a shock. Loads of memories, but I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for actually taking me back to a time that I needed to reevaluate. And that's the thing. I, I think, you know, let's, let's get to that point, everybody, where we start to reappraise the noughties and go, oh, there was some good stuff there. And let's, you know, let's, let's enjoy that decade. It was, it was bizarre, but there's some real highlights. We survived the noughties. <laughs> yeah, just about, yeah. David, thanks very much. Thank you, Ian. Nice one. Cheers. 
Yeah.